What is going on, my fellow Summit Chasers, and welcome to another episode of the Summit Chasers podcast. I have a very special guest today. It's a little bit different than the typical guest we would have on the show, Mr. Brian Head. And he is the founder of Head Start Equity. That's a real estate private equity firm that provides passive investment opportunities in primarily value-add multifamily properties. Now, as business owners, you start to get a little bit successful, get a little money in your pocket. You want to invest your money. That's the smart thing to do. And obviously, a very popular place to invest your money is in real estate. So Brian really does a great job of highlighting, as a busy business owner, how do you get into investing in real estate to begin with? Where should you prioritize your time, things you should avoid, and things you should focus on in the beginning? So this is a great episode. We go into a lot of other things as overcoming imposter syndrome being one of them how to look for mentors when you are looking to get into real estate and investing in general. So this is great. So sit back, get your notebooks out. Maybe for this one, grab a couple stacks of pancakes, some syrup and a coffee and enjoy the show. Beautiful. Well, I'm very happy to have uh, Brian Head now that I know uh, confidently that it's Head, uh, not Heed. Uh, Brian Head, <laughs> founder of Head Start Equity. Yeah. Is that what it is? Beautiful. It is. Um, so why don't you, well, let's start off really simple. A subject that you know all about. Let's talk a little bit about you and where you come from and how you got to where you are. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I remember I used to listen to one one podcast and the, the host would always say, so just tell me a little bit about yourself. You were born and then what? <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to go that, back that far. But, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so born and raised here in uh, San Antonio, Texas. Uh, lived here all my life. Uh, married. Um, with uh, two daughters of a five-year-old daughter and a 12-year-old daughter. And uh, <clears throat> I, I actually left a corporate job that I was at for nearly 25 years um, back in May of 2022 to uh, focus on Head Start Equity to start my business and, and do it full-time. Um, but I've been, so in that job, I was in the financial services industry and for about half my career, I was a stockbroker. So I had my securities licenses and financial advisor. And so I was doing some of that stuff and that was a lot of fun. Um, but I had always been investing in real estate on the side. Uh, so I've been doing that for over 20 years and my story is similar to a lot of real estate investors in that, you know, I started out flipping and, and, and single family and then single family rentals and then got into some Airbnb and then kind of ramped up to uh, smaller multifamily, purchased a duplex and then a triplex and I uh, was kind of humming along with that. And then, uh, you know, we had a life event take place where my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer back in 2018. And uh, fortunately, she's she's cancer free now. She's doing great. Um, but uh, it, it really made us kind of reflect on life and the direction we're going and, and what we want to do. And and so that was kind of the impetus for getting into the larger hundred plus unit multifamily complexes that I'm purchasing now. And uh, so that was that was kind of what geared us toward that, because we realized we'd be able to kind of ramp up faster and scale faster if we went a little bit bigger. And uh, so that that's been a big, big learning curve over the last few years, but uh, a lot of fun. And um, of course, it's had its its challenges, uh, especially with the interest rates going up so much and, and that whole economic environment. But uh, it's it's been fun. That's amazing. So what what initially there's two things I want to hit on right there. What was it like when you, like, what was that moment, that 30 seconds occurred, you needed to be like, I'm leaving corporate, I'm leaving my 401k, I'm leaving my medical insurance to doing your own thing? Yeah, so, um, you know, 
it was a couple of things. Uh, I would say one of them was not long before I made that move, I had hired a business coach. And that was really a, a one of multiple game changers for me. Uh, having a business coach really helps you kind of hone in on, on your business and, and what you need to do to try to succeed. And um, quite frankly, they, they help give you some confidence too. You know, I think mm -hmm. all of us at some point suffer from imposter syndrome and uh, I'm no different than, than anybody else that suffered from that. And it still comes up from time to time. It's normal. Um, but, uh, but, but he was able to kind of help, help guide me in, in that direction and uh, give me the, some of the confidence that I was lacking. Um, and so I think that was probably one of the biggest things. And then, you know, as a, as a side to that, you know, it just coincided with the fact that I ended up and, and this is, uh, what, what ends up happening for a lot of people when they're in the corporate world and they leave their job, you end up quitting your boss, not necessarily the company. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of where I was. And like I said, I was there for almost 25 years. And so, uh, it just, it just got to that point where I had to make the move. I, I was so stressed out and, uh, physically, you know, noticing changes and not feeling good. And, and so it got to that point. So there was, there was quite a few different factors in there. Uh, but those were some of the big ones. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point too. Well, first of all, good for you for putting your ego aside and getting a coach a consultant, a mentor right away. Cause it, the, the point that yeah. you hit on that I, I like, and that I even identify that with a lot of like our clients, like they have the skills, they have the knowledge <clears> of like, whether it's the industry knowledge or they know how to lead, they, they've managed before. They know what I's to dot, T's to cross sort of thing, but it's packaging it and then using it like, and then being confident with it, being able to use that package once you do put it together. And then where, where do you kind of put those pieces that you have and what pieces should you keep and what pieces should maybe you give to somebody else or should you leave to the side for now? Because it, it can be daunting when you're starting a business either, either, like you said, imposter syndrome, I don't feel like I can do anything or I want to do everything. <laughs> Right. And then if you want to do everything, you might as well do nothing. Right. Because it's, it's, it's very hard, obviously, to focus on that much. And then you get spread too thin and everyone can kind of put those pieces together there. So good for you for, for making that decision. Thank I you. think a lot more people need to do it more proactively like you did as opposed to waiting until you're drowning. Right. Which I mean, either, either way, I mean, some people will still won't put their hand up and ask for help when they're drowning. They'll just yeah. try to swim. Right. Um, yeah. So that's, that's awesome. Uh, the other point I wanted to, hit on well first of all quitting your boss that was was it was that what kind of pushed you over the edge was quitting the boss or or did you have more of i can do this like i i have a dream i want to accomplish on my own or was it more like i'm going to quit this and do it right on my own i think it was it was probably half and half i mean mm -hmm. I, you know like i said i've been investing in real estate for over 20 years so you know from a from a confidence standpoint i, I had some of that um and, and realistically, whether you're, even if you're just managing one rental property, you're a business owner, you have your own business. And so mm -hmm. I, I knew at that point, cause I had scaled some, some at that point that I, I could do it. Um, but it's hard to leave the, the security of a corporate job. Like you said, I mean, especially when I'd been there so long and, uh, it's, it's really, you know, it's all I really knew was that company as my whole adulthood. So, um, it, that was hard, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, I was also getting to a point where, cause I had already started in my, my larger multifamily business while I was still in the corporate job. And it was getting, it was getting to a point where it was getting hard to manage the two, having mm -hmm. a full-time job, plus trying to build my business and, and realizing also that if I really want to scale and I really want to grow this thing, I have to be able to give it a hundred, hundred percent 
of my focus. And I wasn't able to, to do that, obviously. And so um, that I think it was it was a combination of, of both of those. Um, mm. And, you know, I being in the corporate world, I, I learned a lot. And, and I think I, I got to a point with where I was that, you know, I also just was not happy. Um, you know, my I wasn't happy with my boss, but I also, you know, I was always an entrepreneur really mm -hmm. at heart and kind of doing it on the side was, I guess, kind of my release and my outlet for that. But then I think it finally got to a point again with that life event that took place and everything it was like, okay, like, you know, just own up to who you are and, and get out of that corporate job and move on. And that's what I decided to do. So. I like what you just said, own up to who you are. Some people will hide yeah. behind that comfort. And then, and then they'll never be truly, they'll, they'll never know. First of all, like they could get to the end of their life and never know, okay, could I have been successful at this? Mm. What kind of success could I have had? How happy could I have been? You, and it's, it, that's, that would be a, that's a scary place. That, that, that's what really pushed me was I don't want to get to the end of my life. I don't be 80, 90, 100 years old. God forbid that, that hopefully that happens and be like, man, what if? Yeah, I probably could have, you know, that was actually one of the questions that I got from coworkers when I was leaving was, aren't you afraid to, to go and, and do this on your own? What if you don't make it? What if the business doesn't make it? And, and I actually told them what you just said. I said, well, I'm actually more afraid of, you know, continuing on in the same path and, and never taking that chance and wondering what if, right. And so I was more afraid of that than I was the, the comfort of what I was leaving. And, and I, you know, I'll also say too, you know, I have an amazing wife who has a pretty awesome job too. So I have to admit that, you know, that, that doesn't, that doesn't hurt when, when you have some of that. So there was still a little bit of security there. Uh, but you know, it was, it was still a big, mm -hmm. big change for me. Yeah. I mean, and that most of the time, that's how you should do it. We get these glorified stories of these entrepreneurs that I had nothing. I had to live in motels and I still made the leap. It's like, okay, you're like, but then how many behinds you did that and didn't, are still living in the motels, right? Like, don't, like, that's not the only path for like abnormal success, right? So when, and then when people like they, they almost feel ashamed, I'm not saying you did, but there's some people that I'll have this conversation with. They almost feel ashamed. Like I, my wife had a good, or my husband had a great job, or I had a lot of money in the bank already, or I had a, a nest egg. It's like, okay, so you did it the right way. <laughs> you did it how most right. people should do right. it. Right. Like it's, that's yeah. okay. You're, you don't need to be the hero. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I kind of liken it to, um, and this is kind of veering off just a little bit, but, uh, you know, <clears throat> with, with what people, people's personal investments and what kind of things they, they invest in and meaning, you know, there, cause there's, there's theories, right. Or proven theories, right. Of, of how you should invest, right. You should have X percent of your portfolio in stocks, X percent in bonds based on how old you are for growth for, so you have enough money when you retire and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, you know, people have to be comfortable with that investment. And, and so mm -hmm. if, if you're somebody that's going to be, you know, buying high, buying high and selling low, this, mm -hmm. then maybe you shouldn't be doing it. If you can't handle the roller coaster, then maybe you would be better off just investing in CDs or, you know, or you're not going to keep up with inflation, but you're also not going to be getting all emotional and selling and buying at the worst time. And, and you could draw a parallel to that with, you know, taking that leap. And, mm -hmm. and so everybody has to do it at the, at what's the right, you know, whatever the right time is for them and nobody Right. Nobody should be judging. Well, why did you take so long? Or you know, uh, mm -hmm. you got to do it 
when it's the right time for you. I've had people ask me, you know, well, do you regret not doing it sooner? And yeah, I mean, there's a part of me that's like, well, what if I'd have done it sooner? But maybe I needed to go through all of that experience mm -hmm. of my life to get to that point, to, yeah. get, to be comfortable, right, to, to take that leap. And so I, I think that's everybody's, there's no, there's no judgment there. Everybody's got to do it when it's right for them, if they do yeah. it all. We need people in the corporate world too, right, to make the world go round. So, <laughs> yeah, we're not advocating everybody's go quit their jobs and start doing right, their exactly. own thing. But because I mean, some people, like you said, they're just not. That's just not their thing. Like they like mm -hmm. being. Uh, some people do really well being the number two, or just the they they like the routine. That that's what makes them happy. They prefer to focus right. on hobbies, right? And then mm -hmm. their corporate four hundred one k met you know they get healthcare for their family. I mean, who, like we're, we're crazy. Yeah. Like they, they, they're the smart <laughs> ones in a lot of ways. Right. 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 So exactly. No, a hundred percent. So I, there's a question that kind of came up in my mind and I needed to give myself a minute to remember it. And I just remembered it. So it, with talking about timing, wanting to get into real estate investment, let's say you're, you're a business owner. You've, you've worked with, whether it's your coach or you worked with us, whatever it is. And you've gotten to the point now where you can kind of step away from your business uh, a little bit and focus on passion projects. And one of those passion projects, you've always wanted to invest in real estate. You've never done it before. You don't know anything about it um, other than you got to buy low and sell high, you know, the typical whatever. Um, mm -hmm. What would be your advice to them knowing that this isn't going to be a full-time thing? They're still a business owner. They don't know anything. Where, where should they start to build a portfolio from? Again, from not knowing anything to having a fairly decent portfolio. Yeah. And, and, you know, that, so you, you're, well, I think what you're kind of talking about is somebody that maybe is looking to do it more passive. They, they have a, they have a full-time thing that they want to do. Mm -hmm. And this is more, they know they they're, should be in real estate. Exactly. <clears throat> they're running a business They're They just want to, they want to invest the money that they're hard earned money into something that's going to increase yeah. their value. Yeah. I, I think, you know, that's where, and, and, you know, I know it's overused, but education, right. Uh, you know, you, you want to, it's good to obviously you have to find people that you want to invest with that you know like and trust right that's 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 huge and important and i would argue that you know the the person you're investing with is more important than the deal you're investing in um, because if they don't know what they're doing and and they're you know they're not they're not up to par then that great investment that they're getting handed may not work out. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, that's probably more important, but what is, what is the cliche I was talking about is education. It's just education is the most important thing. And, you know, there's, there's plenty of ways to educate yourself, you know, find somebody that, that is doing it, um, you know, pick their brain. Um, but I, but podcasts are, you know, one of the, one of the ways that, that I learned, uh, you know, I still am a huge advocate for reading or audiobooks as well. Um, and, you know, I would say start those conversations with different, different people that are offering those type of passive deals. And, you know, don't, don't just pick the first one necessarily that you talk to interview multiple ones, find out, you know, ask them why they're doing what they're doing, you know, um, what their due diligence criteria is, you know, challenge their knowledge and their track record and things like that. And so, but I, but I would say, you know, those conversations going to meetups is a good way too to kind of learn a little bit more about, uh, you know, real estate in general. Uh, you know, we, we have a local meetup here in San Antonio. Um, but I think that's huge. Uh, there's, there's a lot of education courses and stuff too. I, I think there, there are several out there for specifically for passive people that just want to invest passively as well. Um, those, those can be good. 
but I, I would say, you know, just start talking to people and just start educating yourself. I, I think you just have to kind of get out there and, and you can't just you know, trust, but verify, right? You can't yeah. just assume that the people you talk to, um, they may sound smart and they may be a good salesperson, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean they know what they're doing and, and they have the right instincts. So um, I, I think, it, you know, don't jump into it. Don't jump too quickly. I, I think that there's a lot of people in my industry that just all they want to talk about is all the great things about real estate. Um, don't, don't hesitate to ask about what's the worst case scenario, what could happen, you know, what are the bad possible outcomes? And, uh, you need to, you need to understand that too. Um, and so that, that would be my advice is, you know, just, just try to go out there and learn as much as you can about it and, and maybe use some of those channels I mentioned to, to learn. Um, mm-hmm. and, if, and if somebody's specifically looking to, that's listening and looking to get into to multifamily, you know, I can definitely help, you know, any way that I can in terms of helping educate them mm-hmm. specifically into that, that space. So that's what I was about to say. Reach out to Brian. <laughs> so yeah. what I'm hearing is, I mean, it's this very similar approach probably that they would take to their own business, right? I mean, it's looking at looking at it as you're not just buying something low, selling it high. Like there's a lot of other intricacies that go in there, especially if you want to buy a house, you want to fix it up and flip it. Contractors, right? You got people on your, you're building another team at that point, right? Mm-hmm. So when, when you say educate yourself, which amazing advice. Don't jump into it. Don't just buy a house and then figure it out. Trial and error. There's other people that have done that. Um, where's like a good, like in what Avenue, where, where should they start? So like, because I'm sure if you go Google, you know, real estate courses, there's tons of them. What are some, what's some advice as far as like where to veer them? Is there some that you've had great experience with? And if so, what, what, what makes them better than some others that you've seen? Yeah. So, you know, um, I would say it kind of depends on the the route you want to go. Um, But, uh, you know, I I know that like, especially from a single family real estate investing standpoint, uh, I want to say the book was the millionaire real estate investor. It's like a blue and white book. Um, That was one of the the best books that, that I ever read uh, in in the real estate space. It's super detailed and and Mm. gives you a lot of information about investing in, in single family properties. Um, uh, you know, the, the rich dad, poor dad is a good one too. You know, mm-hmm. Robert Kiyosaki, um, mm-hmm. I think probably most people these days now that, that are even considering real estate have probably picked that up and, and read it. I actually, uh, read it to my daughter when she was 11, um, putting her to bed at night. Oh, wow. Uh, it was kind of dual purpose, right? To help educate her, but it also kind of put her to bed kind of quickly. So, uh, you know, kind of, <laughs> uh, help there, but, uh, but she, but she now knows the difference between assets and liabilities. So, that in itself is a win for somebody that's not even a teenager yet, I think. So uh, that should be taught. But, in that, uh, <clears throat> speaking of a subject that should be in school instead of oh. something else that's in there right now, like that's crazy. Sorry to mean to cut you off. Brian. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you a hundred, 110% on that. I think that's, you know, I remember my economics class, we, we did, we, we talked about, uh, you know, stocks and we even, I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but you know, we were tracking individual stocks in the newspaper and stuff like that. And, and that's, you know, kind of how we were learning about that stuff. And that's actually one of the things that one of my first experiences that, that got me really interested in investing in general was that specific class. Mm. Um, but there's not, I don't, at least when I was in school, which was a while ago, but there weren't any, you know, classes about real estate in, in high school. You know, nobody really talked about that much. And it's a great way to build wealth. I mean, you know, from our, from specifically from my perspective, that's where I built three quarters of my net worth was in real estate. 
So it can definitely be done. And, um, you know, but, but yeah, those are some of the, those are some of the books. There's a lot of, there's so many multifamily podcasts out there. Um, if you're looking to get into multifamily, uh, you know, I'm actually planning to start my own podcast here probably in the next few weeks as well. Um, so I'm looking forward to that, but that's going to be, that's going to be talking about different, different types of investments and not just real estate, but different ways to build wealth. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm looking forward to, to launching that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have any specific courses I would say to go to. Mm -hmm. Those things change frequently. And there's honestly, there's quite a few out there that I'm not a big fan of. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, because there's so much you can learn for free now. Uh, like you said, you know, Google, you can Google stuff and find stuff, but, you know, find some, find some good books out there that have some good ratings. And, you know, if, if you read, you know, ferociously, you'll, you'll become an expert. And, and so that's, that's what I would say is just, you know, start there and then just start trying to meet some people. Yeah, no, that, that's, and that's good advice too. And the one thing that you said in there was figure out what you want to do first, because I mean, it could be multifamily, it could be just housing. I mean, there's, there's other options. There's, there's a lot Airbnb, right? There's, yeah. there's lots of that. Just figuring out kind of what lane you want to go first so that you're not educating yourself on a ton of stuff figure out yeah. what you want to do. And then, I mean, probably part of figuring out what to do would be to talk to somebody like yourself so that, okay, how much time do I have? Where does my current skills lie? Cause I'm sure there's various skills or varying skills that you need to be successful in <laughs> one or the other, a little bit different. I don't know much, right. but I'm assuming judging by your head, not, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, yeah, figuring out what you want to do first and then you can be more pointed in your education. So at least when you're Googling, you're not, how do I get into investing in real estate? It's how do I get investing into Da, 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 real estate type of thing mm -hmm. right yeah and there's a go ahead Brian. no i'm sorry i was just going to say you know the, the only other thing i would add to is and financial advisors are, are great mm -hmm. um just just be aware that you know financial advisors generally speaking not all of them but generally speaking right they're going to be obviously compensated based on the assets you have with them um and they may not want to steer you toward these private placement type real estate investment deals and stuff like that um, because they're not going to be compensated. The assets are going to be leaving their account with them and, and going somewhere else. And so I, I think that financial advisors are great for, you know, the, the mainstream public type securities and public markets. When you get into some of these private placement deals, you're going to have to, you're probably going to have to, for the most part, do a lot of self-education and, mm -hmm. and from that perspective, uh, and, and try talking to the right people, um, just, just as a side note, because, mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've had, uh, you know, I was one myself, but I've also had investors and they're like, well, let me go talk to my financial advisor before I do this. And I'm like, okay, great. Yeah, go do that for sure. Um, and they never, they never ended up investing because their, their financial advisor talked them out of it. And, uh, mm -hmm. again, they're not all that way. And I'm not saying, you know, their, their financial advisor may also have some insight that I don't have. That's like, okay, yeah, this, this probably isn't the right kind of fit for him. So I'm definitely not trying to bash financial advisors, but I'll just say they may not be an expert in this particular field. So you mm -hmm. kind of have to look outside some of those normal lanes you might go into to learn about these different types of investments. Yeah. Well, they may have, they're more likely anyways, like you said, they're not all bad. They might have an expertise, but they'll be more surface level. They won't completely right. understand. Got it. Okay. That, right. that makes a lot of sense. There's a, there was a concept. I had a guy on the podcast recently. His name was Dan, um, Dan Sanchez. He goes by Dan Chez. Uh, and he had this concept of ultra learning. Really, really interesting. Uh, 
whoever, if you have the time, I would look it up if you want to be a master in something like a specific field. Like again, if you're the business owner who has a ton of time now or has at least more time now and want to get into investing in real estate, this is a good uh, avenue to go because it forces you to learn something really, really quickly. But he has this concept of the 30-30-30 rule, which was read 30 books, which is a lot. If you're a quick reader, that's easier. Listen to it on Audible, skim through them. And a lot of times, because I'm doing, I do the same similar thing now, is I'll read two or three on the subject. And then the, the subsequent books after that, it's kind of like you start to see a lot of similarities. And now you start to be mm -hmm. skimming through, okay, this, okay, this is a new concept. You know, so it's a little bit quicker. But mm -hmm. read 30 books. Uh, do 30 write 30 blogs but like short form like posts basically like short form posts to try to teach it so now you're learning how to teach it and then speak to 30 experts in the field so it's read 30 books teach it or <clears throat> maybe it's the other way around maybe it's read 30 books uh talk to 30 experts interview 30 experts and then uh do 30 like try to educate on 30 different types of concepts and then in, in doing so in the teaching part of it, that's when you start to conceptualize it a lot more. You start to internalize it and put it in your own words, your own, your way of observing and, and that kind of thing. Your own way that you're, you can implement it. So that's really, it's like a little, if you want to get, if you have a lot of time and, you, and you're really, really <laughs> passionate about something obsessive, like yeah. I get sometimes, admittedly. I mean, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting concept because you can, it is, you can get really good at something in a short period of time, like really knowledgeable on something in a short period of time. You just need to have a, have a process and a framework and then stick to it. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. And then that could take two, that could take three, three ish months to do that. But it's better than going to school for however many years. And it's better than diving into real estate and then losing a bunch of money right away. Let's right. take three months, get really, really adept at something. And then, yeah. yeah. And having a podcast, like doing podcasts is a great way to do it. Like yeah. I'm learning from you right now. Right. Right. Yeah. Like it's, that's a great way to do it. Yeah. And that's, so that's, that's, you know, selfishly, you know, so I, I with my podcast that I'm going to start, you know, it, it is really main. The main purpose of the podcast is going to be to bring experts on in their field to explain to people about these different ways to build wealth enough that the, the the person can decide is that an avenue I want to pursue more? Do I want to spend the 30, 30, 30? Do I want to do that on that particular type of way of building wealth? I want them to hopefully try to get that from that expert in that interview. And then they could reach out to that expert and, and maybe learn some more or have some opportunities there. Um, but outside of the education piece, like you said, I'm going to get to learn some stuff too. Because, uh, you know, I think there's too many people out there that try to be experts on, you know, they'll say, you know, and I, I was a stockbroker for 10 years. So somebody might on the surface say, well, then shoot, he knows a lot about stocks and, you know, what might be good to invest in now. And I have no clue. It was so long ago mm -hmm. that, and things changed so quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I got my license, stocks were trading in fractions. They weren't trade, trading in decimals. So I don't, it, it's been so long that I, I know, you know, I recognize where my gaps are and I'm not going to, mm -hmm. I'm not going to, you know, try to educate somebody too much on that, that, that field because so much has changed. Um, yeah. So, yeah. We need to almost change the definition of what an intelligent human is or a smart human is. It's not somebody who <laughs> thinks they know everything or seems like they know everything. It's somebody who asks all the right questions and knows what they don't know. Right. They, right. They, and, they, and, they, they have more potential at that point now, right? Right. And then, and that are willing to be the dumbest one in the room, right? <laughs> yeah. Put their ego aside and just be dumb. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, good be, be, I'm good at that part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just surround yourself with. If you're the dumbest yeah. one in the room, you're going to learn something, right? I mean, you're, so yeah. yeah, 
You're in the yeah. right room. It's just like, like if it. you want to be a millionaire, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta surround yourself with millionaires, right? It's mm-hmm. just, just the way, the way it goes. So, uh, no, absolutely, hundred percent. It's all. I mean, you're a product of your your surroundings. It's hard to. The thing is, is that go back to like having imposter syndrome. A lot of people <laughs> will be, will say to themselves or to others, worse off themselves. I don't deserve to be in that room. It's like, well, maybe you don't right now, but if you're in the room for long enough, and you will, right? I mean, it's, it'll, it'll it'll happen, right? Uh, yeah. So there, there's where you get so much different information. And I was googling this last night because I, I was getting ready for our, our conversation of where are we at as far this bubble, this this real estate bubble. And I would <laughs> search six different websites, yes, and like like Wall Street, Forbes, like legit sources depends on who you talk mm-hmm. to um and i would get six different answers like some would say right. it's 2024 is the year everything's gonna crash everybody get ready and then another one will be like it's more gonna be more of a soft landing and then another one will say you know we're, no we're just fine yeah, right like everyone's the average income is this high now uh the only thing is that with interest rates as high as they are and value home values going down, it's less likely that people are going to move because they're locked into lower interest rates from a few years ago. And it's a lot of people are priced out of buying a new home. That's, that's like, that was the most consistent thing, but right. In your expert opinion is 20, like is 2024 the year, like, are we going to crash? Like what's going on? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's the thing. And, and I, you know, I'll give my opinion, but the reality of it is right. None of us really know for sure. And so the one word I would say to sum it up is diversification. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. And and, Mm. um, because you have to recognize that, you know, you can, you can play some bets and, you know, you can, you can over leverage yourself one way or another if you want, if you feel really strongly about something. But I, I think it's super important to be diversified and track your diversification and see how you're see kind of keep keep an eye out on are you getting too heavily weighted in stocks or real estate or whatever? Because unlike a lot of my peers, uh, and I probably sound like I'm bashing a lot of real estate investors, uh, not, but there's a lot that will get up and and talk and say that the stock market's horrible. Don't invest in the stock market, only invest in real estate, specifically only invest in this kind of real estate. And, Mm -hmm. and that's great. You know, that that's great. If that's what they believe, I I don't, I don't believe in that. I I don't think that you should put all of your money in one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And and even if you're into real estate, I think it would be good to be diversified in different kinds of real estate as Mm -hmm. well. And even within that specific kind of real estate, like multifamily, um, you know, you, you have to think about geographically too, diversifying and, you know, not investing all of your money with the same, the same sponsorship team that's running deals. And that's why with my fund that I started, uh, it is, it's, it's all in Texas, right? But it's mm-hmm. geographically diversified in different, different larger markets within Texas. Um, and so somebody that invests in my fund, they're diversified across different markets within the state with different sponsorship teams that are running the deal. Um, I'm doing value add, meaning existing apartment complexes that need to be updated, that you can increase the value that way. And development where it's being ground up, it's ground up development, right? So you have diversification that way in my fund as well. So I would just say, just be diversified because the reality of it is like, I don't, I don't care who the expert is, nobody knows for sure. In my opinion, I, you know, <laughs> um, from a housing standpoint, whether it's multifamily or single family, there's, there's been a lot of building going on over the last year or so. 
Um, and, and in multifamily specifically, there was a lot of development and a lot of supply coming onto the market. Um, and, and I'm going to oversimplify it because it really depends geographically in the different areas. But for the mm -hmm. most part, in a lot of the bigger markets, there's been a lot of supply coming in, which has forced rents down a little bit um, or kind of leveled out a little bit, um, which, of course, would, would then decrease the value of those investments. And so that but that a lot of that development was started when rates were lower. And so now a lot of that new development has slowed down because rates have gotten so high, the numbers don't make sense for the development of new apartment complexes for the most part in a lot of areas. And so that has slowed down. And so now, you, you know, you mentioned this year going into 2025 is when you can expect to see a lot more of that um, lack of lack of supply and more demand. I think mm. some of it has leveled out a little bit because of that supply that's hit the market, but you're going to see some of that supply reduced and there's still going to be that demand. And, and, you know, that's one of the reasons why, for one, I'm born and raised in Texas. So that's why I've, I've, I, st I stick with Texas, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of migration to, to Texas and um, from, from a lot of different areas. And so it's a really great, great market. I think it's the eight largest from a GDP standpoint mm -hmm. in the world. Um, oh. You know, so yeah, yeah. Even, I mean, in the world, sure. just the state of Texas. So uh, it, it's uh, a really good market, but I, you know, and, and the, the, the problem with single family houses is rates have been so low, were so low for so long that now nobody wants to sell their house because mm -hmm. they're going to get less of a house Locked if they go in. and buy something at these higher rates. And so I would think, you know, until rates start getting lower, you're not going to see as many people selling. And so there won't be as much supply in the single family space. And so that's going to continue to be an issue from a supply demand standpoint. Um, and, and again, there, there have been more developments of single family houses over the last year or so because of that the lower real estate, uh, I'm sorry, the, the lower rates, mm -hmm. uh, but that has slowed down some too, again, because the rates have gone up. And so um, I, I don't, I don't know that it's necessarily a bubble per se. Um, I think the, 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 you know, we may see a little bit of dip in some prices here and there. Mm -hmm. Again, it really is going to be geographically specific, you know, in terms of what that might look like, but I don't, I don't foresee anything like 2008 or anything like that. I, I you know, um, Things just seem too strong. Um, again, I could be wrong, but the economy is still going so strong. Uh, mm -hmm. Unemployment is so low. Um, and more than likely, the Fed's going to start lowering rates at some point this year, probably. Um, you know, I know they want to see inflation down, you know, a little bit lower and a little more consistently down for a longer period mm -hmm. of time. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't I don't see a bubble necessarily. Uh, again, in the, in the residential space per se, which mm -hmm. encompasses single family, multifamily, I don't, I don't necessarily see a bubble there. Uh, it's definitely gotten a lot more unaffordable for people. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, but income has also, income has also gone up substantially mm -hmm. for a lot of people as well. I'm sure there's people that are going to hear this and be like, not me. And that's true, but overall it has gone up mm -hmm. and, and that that's going to, probably continue for for a little bit because there's a supply demand problem going on there as well mm -hmm. uh, in the employment space, you know, with so many jobs being added. And so, uh, yeah, I, I don't see a bubble necessarily, but uh, that's that's just Brian's opinion. So we'll see. No, I mean, it's, I think I, I hope your opinion comes true. I hope that's I hope that's <laughs> the fact. Uh, would you so the, the opinion of well, it's not really it's an opinion. It's fact that uh, average household incomes are going up. But how much of that do you feel has contributed to just the raising in the minimum wages in a lot of places? 
Um, you know, I don't, I don't honestly know the, the stats around the, the raising of the minimum wage. I, I think what's caused a lot of the, the rate, the, the um, growth in, in um, salaries has really been, again, again, the supply thing, you know, mm-hmm. there, there was COVID and COVID was such a weird thing because it really threw so much standard stuff, the economists and stuff like that, you know, people like that look at that. It's like so many things went out the window. We should have mm-hmm. definitely been in a recession well before now, based on how much rates went up and everything. When you look historically at, at what, what raising yeah. rates like that has done, and it was a historic rate that we, we rose in this time. So um, I think a lot of it has just been so much competition for employees that, you know, they had to stay competitive and they had to increase, you know, plus inflation was so high, people needed to make more to, to be able to get by. And so, you know, I know, you know, a couple of years ago when I was still in the corporate world, I mean, there were people just leaving left and right with less experience than me going and getting jobs mm-hmm. at other companies, getting more than I was getting paid. And I had been there for 20 plus years. And they're, you know, they'd only been doing it for a couple of years and they're getting more leaving to go somewhere else. And mm-hmm. so um, there was so much competition. And, and I think the remote environment, too, contributed to some of that competition as well. Um, but, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't know about the minimum wage part. It, it probably does play a, play a factor. Well, yeah. you made a good point, though, because there was a fairly big mass exodus. And there's there's stats and this stats just isn't since COVID. This has been for the last 10 or 15 years that if you if you're at like a mid-management job and you leave to go to another company, the average wage increase is, I think it's like four to 8%. So it's yeah. people that are, are leaving, if they, they get stuck at it, I'm not going to say stuck, but they're in a job for a long period of time and they're at a certain uh, wage, or they're at a certain salary. The only, a lot of times the only way they're going to get that, you know, extra 4% is to leave and go somewhere else. Cause now all of a sudden there's competition for their skills. So they're able to leverage that. So they have leverage. So you, that's a pretty, so that, that, that's actually a very good point with that mass exodus. There was with that four to 8% increase generally, that's average, right? I mean, it could be more or less, um, that that would make sense that that would, could be part of the cause of some of these increases in salary. And then also these businesses having to like everybody working from home, then we have, okay, we have to bring everybody back. It's like, well, I've in order to come back, I want another 10 K here on my salary. Right. And then they, they give into it. Right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there, there's a lot yeah. of that, that going on. So th- th- those are really great, really, really great points. Right. Um, so I wanted to kind of go back to at the, before, before I lose the, lose the thought, uh, you, you talked about, uh, to diversify. So diversify your portfolio. So does that strategy of diversifying your portfolio, is that, is that more to mitigate risk or is that more to be able to pivot when needed quicker? Like what, what, where was that? Where's a bit of both? Probably a bit of both, but I would say more reducing risk. So I, I think that what, what a lot of people don't understand is that you can still get really good returns um, by diversifying. It's just mm-hmm. they're, they're risk adjusted returns, right? You're, you're, you're still getting good returns, um, but you have to, there has to be some value given to the risk that you're, that you're taking on when you're too heavily weighted in one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would be, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't sit here and tell you that there's been times in my life when I've been way too heavily weighted in certain things. And so, you know, I speak from experience where there was a time when I didn't, I didn't believe in diversification. I'm like, well, why, why am I going to put anything in, bonds or in cash or whatever, um, when this is doing so great, why, why would I want to do that? Well, 
it's it's because right when it goes bad, you know, you have to understand that now, no, you don't just have to make up that 10%. You have to make up more than what you lost because now you're starting from a lower, a lower investment yeah. amount, right? Mm-hmm. So 10% on that amount that's lower now is not going to make up for that 10% you lost. Mm-hmm. So um, you have to, you have to, you have to think about that. There, there's some value in diversification to reduce that downside risk. And, and that's where I think a lot of people kind of miss the boat. Um, and, and that's where, and, and the thing about it is too, you can't, I can't sit here and tell any particular person, well, if you're this age and you're at this point mm-hmm. in your career, you should put this percentage in this and this, there are models out there that will do all of that. And, but I, again, it goes back to kind of early on in our conversation, we talked about, well, also what kind of risk are you willing to take mm-hmm. and how comfortable are you with risk? What is your risk appetite? Because if you're going to be, you know, you shouldn't be in 90% stocks, even if you're 20 years old, if you're going to go and sell when they go down 20%. You know, now you just sold at the worst time <laughs> to, to, to really help your growth going forward. And so, um, yeah, I, I, but I think I think the diversification piece is important. And I do think that real estate in some shape or form should be in everybody's portfolio. There, there's value in, in the real estate from a growth standpoint, but also from an income standpoint. No, that's, that's great advice. And from my kind of perspective on that, the reason I asked that question is in business in itself, you look, there's this... Uh, we call it like negative inertia. So when you're so heavily invested in one avenue, one way of doing things, really, and if you have all this built up inertia and everything's built, if you built an infrastructure and just going in this direction, and there's a, a case study, um, Kodak is like a good example of this. Everybody remembers Kodak. They had almost had a monopoly in the film industry. <laughs> and then digital was coming and they're like, no, we got to, we invested so much in film. We're going to re, we're going to double down and keep going. I think they, they invested, uh, it's in the billions, I think, uh, in more yeah. fat, more manufacturing plants, chemical plants, hiring people in film. And then digital came up and we worse Kodak now sort of thing. So they had that kind of that negative inertia in the wrong direction. And the way I kind of, when you, when you said it's important to diversify, I was kind of thinking if you're so heavily invested in one area, you have that negative inertia in that one area, and then you need to diversify at one point. It's hard to, it's harder to pivot. Is that, is that the case mm-hmm. in real estate or? In some cases, you know, it, it can be depending on depending on what you're in, right? So, you know, with the some people will use REITs, right? So those are publicly traded, so you can easily liquidate those and rebalance and things like that. In the private space, it's a little bit more difficult in some ways because, you know, for example, my fund that I have is investing in multifamily uh, syndications, and so that's five to seven year hold period is what we expect, and so. You can't, if somebody invests in my fund, they can't come to me and say, hey, Brian, you know, I want to buy this house. I need to get some of my money out. Well, I mean, I, I can't just take money out of the deal. Like that's got to come from somewhere. So it, it's 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 not quite that simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it really depends on the, the way you're investing in real estate. Um, you know, if you, if you get some single family houses, maybe you could. Obviously, it's still not as quick uh, to, yeah. to diversify, um, which can be good as well, because I think that, it can take away some of the emotion like I was talking about earlier, you know, where, you know, the market starts going bad and you're like, oh man, I'm, I'm, you start getting nervous and things start going down. And so you're like, we go log into your, uh, in your Schwab account and you just push a button and you sell all the stock, whereas in the house or multifamily, whatever, you can't do that, mm-hmm. which can be good because then you're not acting on emotion, uh, which can get the better of any of us at some points, depending on what we have going on in our life. So, um, 
that that I don't know if that helps answer your question, but that's that's no. kind of what I what I would say about that. No, so there's ways that you can you can set yourself up or set the way that you do these deals up to be more fluid and flexible if you want, but it's still not mm -hmm. like going in and pressing a button. You still have to have a little bit more of a forecast before thinking ahead. You have to strategize ahead, yeah. forecast ahead um, before making these decisions. Because right. it's not yeah, like a little it's not more long term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. One of the first the company that I thought of though when you when you said Radio Shack was Blockbuster and then Netflix, right? Like Blockbuster mm -hmm. never got on board. They they were way late to the game on doing the whole, you know, the CD even the CD thing that you yeah. get in the mail. They were way late on that, and so. But I think there's still one in the United States. I don't know where it is. There's one. There's still. There's one. <laughs> there's one. Yeah. Well, there, there, there's yeah. a lot. I mean, there's so many case studies of that, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think they call uh, inertia by proxy, where they're just this has worked forever. And this yeah. is just the way we do things, right? We don't, and it's, it's working now. So why, why change things now sort of thing? Well, I mean, it works till it doesn't. <laughs> right. And then, right, exactly. and then it's hard. And then, then it's hard to pivot at that point. Cause now you're pivoting uphill to compete. Like if, if say block, even 10 years ago, if blockbuster was to like, just start pivoting, then maybe not 10 years ago. No, yeah. 10 years ago is when Netflix really started to gain like a lot of popularity. I think maybe even longer than that time flies. Um, but if Blockbuster 10 years ago even said, okay, let's pivot and do it, they would have been so far behind right. they can't catch up because Netflix created, or at least a big part of creating that market. And it's much yeah. harder to identify a market that's already been created by your competition and then catch up, right? right. So you, you need to be, able to, yep. to be able to be much more fluid than that, right? So yeah, those are, those are, fun, those are fun case studies uh, to do. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Brian, this has been an amazing conversation, my friend. Uh, I feel like I've learned a lot. I'd like to have a conversation off, uh, off, off camera at some point. Uh, awesome, but sure. I always end these with uh, one question, sometimes two. But for you, Brian, what is the next summit that you're chasing? The next summit that I'm chasing. You know, I think for, for me, it's, and, and really for our family, where I want to be, the ultimate goal for me is to be investing my money with somebody else doing what I'm doing now so that I can be a hundred percent passive. I, I, you know, I want to be able to, we want to be able to, as a family go wherever we want and, and, and uh, not have to be tied down to, you know, work and a job. And, and uh, you know, we have some of that flexibility now with remote work and things like that, but to, to be able to be, just a hundred percent passively invested in other people doing what I'm doing now, uh, would, would be amazing. Um, mm -hmm. time is, is the most valuable thing that we can't get that back. And so that would probably be the, the, the summit that I would be chasing. And what a great summit that is, my friend, very clear on what you want. <laughs> and that's obviously impacting the decisions that you're making in order to get it. So I really appreciate having you on Brian, take 30 seconds, even a minute, plug away your new podcast. Yeah. I, I don't want to, pigeonholed yeah. you but uh, when is that going to yeah. come out and everything where can everybody find you yeah so the podcast should be coming out hopefully in the next month or two um mm -hmm. I'm, I'm hopefully going to be doing my first recording here in the next week or so um so that that'll be coming out soon um best best place to find me is uh you know the only social media i'm on right now is linkedin so you can find me on linkedin uh, or you can send me an email, brian at headstartequity.com. And of course, my website's Head Start Equity. I've got a little information out there about what I do and, and how it works investing in multifamily. Uh, but, but yeah, multifamily is 100% of my focus now. So if somebody's looking to, to you know diversify into real estate, 
Uh, multifamily is a great space to, to diversify into. People need a place to live, right? So, uh, and, uh, I, you know, it's it's 100% passive, my the, the investment that I offer. So, uh, yeah, feel free to reach out to me. And uh, if, if somebody just, like I mentioned earlier, you know, if somebody wants to just learn a little bit more about it and they have some questions, I'm more than happy to help with that as well. Beautiful. Brian, Brian, great. I was going to say Brian, great human being, <laughs> but Brian, <laughs> great human being. I'm really happy that I was able to have you on, my friend. I'm going to link all that stuff below. I'm not going to edit out any of my fumbles because it's real in here, but thanks so much, everybody, and we will see you in the next one. <laughs> Brian. <laughs>